everybody. Welcome back to the Dunces Corner. We are super pumped because we have joining us from Loyola, Chicago, Dr. Joe Vukov, who's going to be Fran Yu's bioethics lecturer, the esteemed position, Dr. Vukov. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have a conversation with everyone. Uh, We're super pumped to have you, especially because one of the things that you're interested in is artificial intelligence, which is so hot right now. That Hansel's so hot right now. So hot right now. So hot right now. It is. And everybody is thinking about this. Uh, Professors and students are thinking about it, (laughs) some in nefarious ways and some in really important ways. But uh, speaking of students... We are joined with some of our awesome crew. One of them is about to take a drink of water, and she's waiting for me. <laughs> Rachel, how's it going? It's going, it's going good, Dr. Pajaza. <laughs> Feel free to drink. And joining us for the first time, even though he has his own podcast, it's Benjamin. How's it going? I'm doing great. How are you, Benjamin? Good. Thanks for how having do, me. How do you feel to be on a competing podcast? Are you feeling conflicted? No, no competition. No competition. Oh, okay. Only communion here. Yes. Okay, great. Fantastic. And then also joining us for the first time. Is that right? That is first time. Well, I would have been two years ago <laughs> oh, if no. some certain podcast didn't get If somebody had pressed record if, or something like that. But you know what? No bad blood. It's all good. I'll take this as my official first time. Well, it's Josh, the double major. Yes. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Yeah. You've got to be a little bit crazy to do uh, bio and theology at the same time, but that's you. Yeah. I'm a little crazy and doing that. (laughs) So, yes, yes. Um, But I love both, you know, so I'm going full steam ahead into it. And last but not least, she's been on the show before. She goes hard in the paint. Look out, all you little kids at Sacred Heart Catholic School. It's Sister Ref. Sister. Hello. Hello. How are you? Doing well. You know, I was on, on in the paint with the kids today, but uh, they they kind of beat me to it. Mm. You, well, I mean, you got to be careful with your leg, you know? Yeah. Got to be careful with those knees. You're getting beaten that up. That bum knee. That's yeah. right. You just got a bum knee. So it was really cool, sister, to be at the celebration of your patroness, Our Lady of Mercy, which we've got a church in town, and I had no idea that it's actually connected to the feast day of the Mercedarians. Mm-hmm. We we didn't know that, I mean, when we first came here about three years ago, our community has been here, but um, established last three years. And so when we happened to go to Mass, we're like, Our Lady of Mercy, and we're like, they need a an official Our Lady of Mercy statue. Um, but it's still, I mean, it's Marian, so it's really beautiful there. Um, but we're excited to see what the Lord's going to do with our presence here in the diocese. Yeah, in the tradition of the Mercedarian fathers who first begun, I was reading in the program that you had for the Mass, I mean, people, I don't think many people know about the sort of sacrifices that they are willing to make as part of, I don't know, was it an official charism of their order to do this sort of a thing? But do you want to explain what it is that they would do? So, the Mercedarian Friars, they were founded in 1218, and they took a fourth vow, um, and that was like my their life or their ransom of others. And so, they would offer their lives so others could um, either get out of like jail or persecution, and um, so they would offer their lives as the bounty for whatever... Um, the person was being charged for. Whew, so, that's a vow right that's there. That's a vow. Yeah. 
<laughs> our community does not have that, but we have the Mercedarian spirituality. And so um, we live that out in a different way, um, but just offering our lives in front of Jesus in the Eucharist and bringing redemption there. Um, so we have connections with the, but the big term is aggre- aggregated. Um, but we're our own different community off of them. So, so you're, you're making a redemptive self gift to the Lord in mm-hmm. the most holy Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So redeeming others through the Eucharist and Mary. Oh, so, I love it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Great. This happens to be a special day for the university because here we are recording on the feast of Holy Father Francis, the man himself. You know, um, I'm curious if y'all have anything, a little tidbit, a little story about St. Francis that's a fave of yours, something that really inspires you. Well, mine is kind of embarrassing because I didn't know much about St. Francis until our intro to theology class here at FranU. Um, I the presumption of him being just an animal saint. Um, ah, yeah, the which bird, the bird is saint. so embarrassing to me, but now <laughs> I'm just thankful for um, Dr. Owens. He showed us, um, it was a documentary by Father Dave Pavanka. Mm-hmm. Um, and so gave insight of his whole life. And I just grew a deeper appreciation for him and just more of who he is and like why there is so much of a, not obsession, but just a, a reverence towards him and his like sainthood. So if the the first thing you would say about Francis, if he's not the birdbath saint, what would it be? Francis is the what saint? The immediately that came to mind was like the heart. Like, I mean, he's just, he goes straight to the heart of Jesus um, in that and just tried to bring others through that, through humility, poverty, um, and his obedience to the Lord amidst all the circumstances that he was under so yeah 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 anybody else got one i was just kind of thinking about um i feel like his life in general um and the transformation that happens and um yeah i just think that's really inspiring i also was thinking about um when is it when the crucifix speaks to him and is like rebuild my church and he takes it literally and i was just (laughs) like man (laughs) I'm St. Francis in that. <laughs> like Sometimes I'm like, he's like, hey, do this thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing that thing. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, do the thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing the thing. So I take Jesus a little, a little too literally sometimes. Oh, so when he said study theology, what do you think <laughs> really meant? <laughs> Good one. A little too literally. <laughs> no, I think you're exactly where you need to be. Yeah, Dr. Bukoff, do you know much about St. Francis? Uh, not, not as much about St. Ignatius as I know about St. Ignatius coming uh, yeah. from a Jesuit school. Right, right. Um, but I will say, I was going to jump in and say the birdbath saint thing has a lot of traction in the Vukov household. We have three ah, small children yeah. and animals are a close second to dinosaurs in far, as far as things that we like talking about. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but, but sort of on a, on a serious note, it is really a way that I've seen that my kids will get excited about saints when you have 
the animal stories. I think it's, it's something that they really are like, oh, this is this. I, I want to learn more about this saint. So, um, yeah, the, the animal stories, the wolf, um, they're things that I've seen really draw my kids into learning about St. Francis. Um, and for that reason, I, I, I really like those stories. And I think they're, they're a big part of what we talk about at home. Oh, nice. You know, I've got young kids too. And I don't know if you've, this has ever hit you before, but today, science books claim that birds are dinosaurs. Have you read this? I've seen this, yeah. And it totally bothers me. <laughs> it's like <laughs> It's like birds are dinosaurs. They state it like that too. And it's like, I know you're trying to say they're descendant they just, yeah. from dinosaurs, but like, why do they insist oh, on yeah. calling birds like modern day dinosaurs? Yeah. It's driving me nuts. So Plus brontosaurus. I, I, think, I think it comes back to kids just love dinosaurs so much. Anything yeah. to bring them into, we'll, we'll make this cooler by yeah, saying this them. is this is dino related. Get it to <laughs> and, and this is making me sad about my childhood, but brontosaurus apparently doesn't, it doesn't exist. exist. What's your problem? You're not hurt. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. What? It was like the most Wait, important really? dinosaur. Bron- one I know. Them. It's the first one we yeah. learned. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even a real dinosaur. Land before time, anybody. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's all a lie. Time. It's, it's all, all a lie. lie. All I've taken from this conversation is that I can own a dinosaur. It's right. I can oh, have a pet dinosaur. You could have a dinosaur in a cage <laughs> yeah, if you wanted. Dinosaurs. That's right. <laughs> That's the truth. It just all clicked in my head right there. It's like, what? Oh, oh got it. So I got I got one about St. Francis. Um, I'm going to butcher the story, but my favorite story about St. Francis is called True and Perfect Joy. Do y'all remember this one? Like, he and Brother Leo are walking, and uh, he tells Brother Leo, hey, hey, Brother, write this down. This is what True and Perfect Joy is. And he's ready to write it, and he says something like, if we converted all of the kings of all of the nations, this would not be true and perfect joy. Brother Theo's like, okay. And if we converted all of these major higher-ups, blah, 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 like, this is not true and perfect joy. Brother Leo writes that. Okay, so what is true and perfect joy then? He says, well, if we arrive somewhere in the cold of night, the bitter winter, and icicles are tearing at our legs because our habits are frozen, and we go to the door of the Franciscan friary, and we knock on the door, and they say, go away, we want nothing to do with you. Uh, And we receive that as the Lord's will. That is true and perfect joy. End of the story. It's a great story. I was like, what? Yeah. That story bothered me so much. That's the a hard first story. time I read it, I was like, what is going on here? But the older I've gotten, the more I've appreciated what Francis is trying to say. Hmm. So, I don't know. Look it up. I'm not doing the story justice. It's even better than that. So, Francis, help us to have true and perfect joy. Let's change gears. We've got a special guest in the house. Dr. Bukoff is coming in from Chicago, uh, the land Arrived of just a couple hours ago. Deep dish pizza. That's right. Hot beef <laughs> sandwiches. Anything else? 
Don't they have hot dogs too? Hot dogs is a big thing too. They yeah. turn the river green on St. Patrick's yeah. Day. Yeah, they do turn the river green, green on St. Patrick's hmm. Day. That's cool. That's right. Yeah. So, Dr. Vukov, you are an associate professor of philosophy at Loyola. I am. And I thought it would be cool to hear because as you told me on the car ride over from the airport, you were not originally Catholic. I wasn't. You have become Catholic. So I'm interested in hearing how you came into the faith. Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you the the shortish version of the story. We can go into more detail if you want to. I was raised by faithful Christian parents with faithful Christian family, but evangelical. So I was raised in Minnesota, um, non-denominational evangelical Christian. Um, kind of went through what a lot of, and, and I, I sort of was many days a week at church all growing up. Um, loved my church community. My parents taught me a lot about Christianity and were really an important part of my early faith formation. My college experience was a lot like, I think, a lot of students in contemporary life where I got to college and it's kind of slowly left me to the point where I didn't feel like there was much faith left at all anymore. Um, I never, I might've for a bit considered myself an atheist, um, maybe mm. not officially an atheist, but for sure an agnostic for a while. And then slowly, and again, we could go into details if you want to, but um, you know, by, by a little step here and a little step there, um, it wasn't sort of a, an all of a sudden conversion to Catholicism. It was slowly, well, you know, I, I do think God exists. So I guess I'm a theist now. And, you know, Christianity does seem right to me. So now I'm a Christian. Um, and then slowly but surely realizing that the Catholic Church was the, the fullest realization of the faith. Um, this was kind of happening concurrently while I was getting married. So my wife and I were married in an evangelical church. She had been baptized, but not confirmed Catholic. And sort of right after we got married, um, and, and even the year before we got married, we had both found that, oh, we're like starting to go to mass. She had started going back to daily masses and I had started observing masses and sort of realized, oh, this is the direction both of us are heading together. So it worked out really well. It doesn't always work out with couples joining the church together, but I went through the full, full RCIA process, basically starting almost immediately after we got married and she tagged along. She wouldn't have had to go through the whole process, but she had never been confirmed. So she kind of went through confirmation classes on steroids. She did the whole RCA thing too with me. And then we, um, I entered the church in 2011 and she was confirmed with me in 2011. And that's been our journey ever since. And now we've been loving being Catholics for the last decade or so. Wow. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Amen. So you're, you're a philosopher. I am. You're a man of the mind. So I want to go- <laughs> On good days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to go back to the starting to lose your faith, agnostic, maybe even atheist, were you wrestling with things intellectually then? Or was it more like a matter of the will or a bit of both for you? It's probably a little bit of both. Um, but I mean, I think that there are these, I think one thing that, and again, I think this is my, my experience is not atypical or it's not, oh, this is what philosophers go through that no one else goes through. It's wrestling with these big questions that a lot of times you encounter for the first time in college, either because you're taking classes or just because you're out on your own and you're not with your parents or your family or your peer group telling you, you know, here's, here's how we do things or here's what the answers are. Um, yeah, and I think it was just trying to figure out if my faith was up to the task of answering them. And ultimately... I believe it is and is in spades, um, as I imagine all of us believe it is. Um, I mean, I think that's one thing I love about being Catholic is the Catholic intellectual tradition is so robust and has such great answers and such great ways of thinking about the big questions in life. Um, 
but I didn't have all those answers at the time. And I, it wasn't any one thing. It wasn't like, oh, I, you know, here's evolution and now I can't be a Christian anymore. Or Mm -hmm. here's the problem of evil and now I can't be a Christian anymore. It was more just, uh, yeah, wrestling with these big questions and trying to figure out how to square them with my faith and not having immediate answers for them, but then eventually finding them. It's interesting because, you know, for a Catholic philosopher, um, one of the important documents to read, of course, is Fides et Ratio. Exactly. Yeah, it's a great document. From John Paul II. And it begins with um, sort of asking the big questions, how human beings need to ask themselves, like, who am I? Uh, what am I for? Like, what is my purpose? That sort of a thing. And um, yesterday, I was speaking to our bishop and our priests, and one of the documents that I brought along with me was a chapter written by Jorge Mario Bergoglio, so aka hmm. Pope Francis, before yeah. he was Pope. And when he became Pope, I was, as a theologian is wont to do, scouring the internet for like, what has he written? What has he said before? That sort of a thing. And I find this document, and it's based on a speech that he gave on the occasion of Luigi Gisani's The Religious Sense being published in Spanish. And so he's reflecting on the religious sense, and he's giving the speech the day after Fides et Ratio is released. Wow. So he's thinking about sort of like the big questions that human beings ask themselves. But one of the things that he goes on to say is that for a lot of human beings today, we sort of smother that part of the heart and that part of the mind so that nobody even seems to ask those questions sometimes like consumerism technology whatever it is there's so many distractions that you know, he he calls it sort of like a mound of ashes kinds of pi- it piles up on the heart so that people don't even have these sort of reflective or even reflexive moments where they say like what am i doing like what am i choosing why am i doing this sort of a thing um yeah i don't know what you all think about this but like when it comes to you and your peers, I mean, how many moments of like self-reflection do you get where it's like, what is the most important thing? Like, why am I here? And what's my purpose? I think at the top of my, like what's on in front, because we just took our moral exam on Monday, just thinking about how much moral theology is like, not it, it, it's just opening my brain to a new insight and just asking these questions and how to approach these questions to others who might not be of the faith or of the faith and are having these big questions that they don't understand how to be that person to be able to answer well and to give justice to the faith um, and the fullness and the truth. So, yeah, I'm definitely growing in that and how to answer those sorts yeah, of questions. Yeah, those questions, mm-hmm, because I'm noticing my poverty um, in that at this current moment. That yeah. When, when do you think those questions arise for people, though? Because I think that's the thing Pope Francis is worried about. Like, we're getting to a point where it's like, I'm going to keep consuming things, so I don't even have to think about this. Like, yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the keys. I think that a lot of people, it doesn't come up. So I think he's right on the money there. Um, and I, I think that it's a real loss in some ways because I think our faith presents us with such great answers to those questions and such a great form of life. Um, but if we haven't asked what questions they're answers to, it's not like you can't be a faithful Catholic without having gone through that. But I think that if you really have wrestled with some of those big questions, then realize, oh, the, these are really important and they're really hard. And our tradition gives us really good answers mm. or really good ways for thinking through them. 
then all of a sudden, maybe you, you come full circle. Maybe you're, you're sort of technically believe the same things you did before, but I think having gone through that journey, this is a philosopher talking. So of course I'm going to say that, but (laughs) I mean, I think that it, it, um, it, it makes it that much more profound and that much more important when you see our faith, not just as a list of beliefs that we believe in, but as answers to these really big questions that are really hard to answer. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if anybody ever asked you, why is philosophy important? I mean, it's like important on the fundamental level, you know, of who you are. Mm-hmm. It reminds me, so um, we, we just had an intellectual retreat. It was the first ever retreat that we've had. <laughs> Rachel's got thoughts about it. <laughs> but um, so we went away like an hour north of here into like a wooded area and stayed at a beautiful house. And we were reading um, an excerpt from Zena Hitz's book, oh, yeah. um, Lost in Thought. Then we read some of Aristotle on friendship and then some of um, St. Thomas on charity. Yeah, it's and a great had, reading list. Yeah. We had, we had a chance to sort of uh, attempt to contemplate the higher things in a, like a beautiful place, that sort of a thing. There were 18 students, six professors sort of in and out, though four of us there for most of the time. But I don't think we often get those moments to just like reflect upon what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. I don't know, Benjamin, what are you, what are you thinking? I see a look on your face right now. Yeah, definitely. That was like one of the first times I ever like deeply thought about something that can, it's definitely not simple, but just like the thought of it, it seems like something that I should be thinking about. Yeah. At least like on the forefront of my thoughts and it wasn't. Um, and so it just made me like reprioritize what's important questions to be asking about instead of these things that the world tells us are very important when they're really meaningless. Um, so thank you for bringing that forward on the retreat. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people spend time wrestling ever with questions like that because they try to bury themselves in this ash that he talks about, Mm -hmm. but the world also tries to tell you once you start to like dig out of that ash, they just dump another pile of ash on top of you Mm. to keep people buried. They don't want people recognizing the truth. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing that Bergoglio says that I think is really key is eventually that the ache, that existential ache is going to show itself usually in a moment of like great joy or great sorrow you're going to start to feel it again. And he says, that's the time where the evangelizer needs to like blow away the ashes and try to like stoke the flame instead of having someone just escape the ache and like, no, 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 I need to cover it up with something else. You just got to, you know, like, no, 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 stay right there. Like, I know you've got to wrestle with that. Like, like, what can we do? Like, how can I love you in this moment? What is going on? Like, what is, what is the whole purpose of what you're going through? And those, those those are the sort of moments an evangelizer looks for because you need to love people with patience, right? You need to accompany, to use, you know, Francis's words, someone, which is not just like um a method, it's like friendship, right? What does it mean to actually have real friendship and to walk with other people? But those moments are bound to come up, and that's when you've got to try and stoke wonder in someone so that the heart's ache can actually reach out to eternity and say, like, maybe there's an answer here. Yeah. I, I think one, I think it can't be the end though, either. So I think that there's this important step of wrestling with these questions and 
taking the ash off, right? And sort of looking at who am I? Why am I here? Why does the world exist? But I think there's a temptation. It's maybe the philosopher's temptation is to stay there and Mm -hmm. just say like the point of it all is wrestling with these questions and debating and dialoguing. Um, I think it can't stay there. Um, One of my favorite quotes in this this vein is G.K. Chesterton has this great quote where he says, the purpose of an open mind is like that of an open mouth is to close it again on something solid. Right. Um, so he's acknowledging, right. You, you can't close your mouth on something solid unless you've opened it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to, you've got to do that wrestling. You sort of have to ask yourself what the mean, again, these, all of this series of big questions, but I think Chesterton's right on the money and so Catholic here, where it's, well, no, you, you can't just, that's can't be where you stay. You also yeah. have to do something that isn't the same thing. So the, this uh, deciding to have faith, deciding to walk with Jesus is something beyond wrestling with questions. Um, this is one, this is one reason why I love Thomas Aquinas. He's the saint's name I took when I entered the church, which is maybe predictable. (laughs) Um, But I think, I think Thomas is just great on this because he's so good about, I mean, he's, he's such a great philosopher, but there, there's so many times where he'll just come to something and say, and and this is by revelation or this is by faith. And it's just this great interplay of faith and reason where it's, no, I'm, I'm having an open mind. I'm considering the best arguments. And this is a full display of recent reason at its full potential. But that's not all it is, right? There's also this like aspect of faith that kind of brings you the whole way there. Yeah, it's lovely to hear a philosopher say such things. That's great. So speaking of which, Dr. Vukov, so... Of all the things that you could have studied when you were going into higher ed, you decided to pick philosophy. I mean, how did that come about? It was a long journey. Um, so I knew I was interested in questions for a long time. And I think I think it was a matter of figuring out how I wanted to ask them. So I knew sort of wrestling with ideas was what I wanted to do. Um, I initially thought I was going to be an English professor. So I, I love literature. I still love literature. I just love reading. Um, and God's providence worked such that I got rejected from all the English PhD programs oh, I applied wow. to. Really? Um, so yeah. So then I went back and reevaluated. I actually did a master's program. Decided, oh no, I, I'm not interested in literature. I'm interested in the questions we can ask because of literature. Ah, so okay. I applied to philosophy PhD programs. Rejected again across the board. Oh, <laughs> finally, third time out, I was like, I think, I think it's philosophy still, and applied, and finally got accepted into a philosophy program, and wow. then was able to start down that path. And that, yeah, that was that was a really good fit. Um, but I, but I still, I love talking theology. I love reading books. Um, I actually love the sciences. I just love learning, and that's one of the reason that I like philosophy, is that. Again, it's just it's the love of wisdom, right? Is that we can take philosophy and we can kind of look at other places and other disciplines too. So it's been a really nice home to be in. Wow. What an exercise in perseverance, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the Lord shutting so many doors. But, yeah, it's know. it's always whenever I talk to especially some of you I think are college seniors um or approaching there. That's I, I always tell them this story because I think that it really is like a lot of people I think more people have that kind of experience. Yeah. that often comes out is that I think a lot of people try something and it doesn't work out. So then it's plan B and then plan B actually turns out to be the good thing. Or it's, no, I, I kept on going for plan A, but it took me five years to make plan A work. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
I actually thought I was going to major in English when I first went oh. to college too. So you know, kindred spirits I knew it there. Liked you. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it about a t- it took about a week for me to figure out like, no, I think I really want to learn about the faith. <laughs> so it just took me a little bit longer. To yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> because my uh, English teachers in high school were the quirkiest, and I enjoyed the conversations the most. You know. Yeah. It's like, I think we were searching for wisdom in those classes, and that's what really, uh, it really stuck in me. if you want to live okay so let's uh let's switch gears to one of your current interests josh has been super pumped that you're coming here because uh one of the things that we've asked you to speak about is artificial intelligence come with me if you want to live and this it seems to be blowing up like every chance you get and i mean uh i just opened up a um, video editing app for a presentation that i was making the other day and the and AI assistant popped up yeah, there and yeah. asked me if i wanted to use ai to actually make the whole thing for me and i could just work off of that and i was like this is crazy like yeah. it's everywhere now so how did you start getting into the questions of artificial intelligence yeah so i i wrote my dissertation on uh, in philosophy of mind so um, roughly the idea of how do how does what's going on in our brain relate to human consciousness? Clearly, there's some relationship there, but what is that exactly? Um, and it turns out that the study of artificial intelligence and computing is closely related to that question. Because when we're trying to create artificial intelligence, whether, whether or not it's intelligent or not is obviously a big question. Mm-hmm. But part of what we're trying to do is to create something that at least looks human-like in intelligence. So because of that, in order to do that well, we have to understand how the human mind works. So there's there's overlap in those fields in studying the human mind and studying neuroscience and the cognitive sciences and computing and artificial intelligence. And that's where the overlap is. So that was my dissertation. Um, and by the time I was done writing the dissertation, which was very theoretically inclined, I mean, it was very dry. I would not recommend it as, <laughs> except if you need a good piece of reading to put yourself to sleep at night. That's the only way that I would recommend it. But I realized that- Please give us the title. Yeah. It was called Consciousness Empowered. Okay, nice. Um, there's no colon and nothing else It was that. two words. Oh, nice. Short and sweet. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It, was, it was an outlier in dissertations in that regard. Very nice. Um. But I I realized that I I wanted to take those sort of very abstract theories and think about why those matter to us in our everyday lives and why they matter to us ethically. So most of my research since then has been in bioethics and been in mostly bioethics having to do with the brain or the mind. Um, And that's just kind of naturally led me to a whole bunch of different topics. Um, There's there's a lot of, right, right now, a 
big one that's going on in Catholic circles is conversations around brain death and how we should understand yeah. that. Um, cause it's evolved a lot, even it's, it's evolved in secular conversations, but the Catholic understanding is rapidly evolving right now because of what we're learning about the brain and how it works. Mm. Um, so that was a big part of my research for a while, but I, I've really kind of now started emphasizing a lot of the, the artificial intelligence side of things. Yeah. Um, but again, kind of taking this perspective of someone who's thought a lot about what the mind is, how it's like a computer, obviously it is in some ways, how it isn't like a computer. Yeah. I think there's obviously differences. And I think that helps us understand both the nature of artificial intelligence and also what proper use of it might look like. Interesting. So I'm just a novice in philosophy of mind and artificial intelligence, but I do know one of the debates a while back in philosophy of mind was, of course, the free will, free will question. So I'm just, I'm trying to put some pieces together. I imagine if somebody thinks there is no free will, and that therefore the things that have um, been downloaded <laughs> by your brain are just some going to algorithmically sort of spit out whatever is going to happen. Then I could imagine somebody thinking artificial intelligence actually is intelligence. Like that's the way that the human mind works. So what's the difference? Is that the sort of argument people are making? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I would say the people who think that artificial intelligence is actually intelligent are a minority. So I think when most people, even in purely secular conversations, think, is this really a mind? Is it intelligent? I think most people say no right now. But I actually think you're you're right on the money that I think that might be inconsistent with the way a lot of people understand that they haven't quite put two and two together, that maybe there's a lot of frameworks out there that it should be considered intelligent. So I think exactly what you're, you're aiming for, right? Somebody who mm. believes in a totally reductive view of the mind, right. that there isn't free will, um, that the mind basically is just a meat computing machine, which is more or less the leading theory of mind right now. Wow, yeah. I think you should look at artificial intelligence and people that adhere to that, to be clear, I don't. But right. people who adhere to that, I think that it shouldn't be a minority view that artificial intelligence is intelligent. I think they should look at that and say, well... It's not a meat computing machine, but it's a silicon computing machine. And what's the big difference? I don't really see one. Now, I think there is a big yeah. difference. But yeah, um, yeah so, so I think you're absolutely right that sort of dominant understandings of what the human mind is are actually compatible with thinking that artificial intelligence is intelligent. So actually, I, I think this is a big moment for Catholics or at least maybe more generally for non-reductive understandings of what the mind is to step in and say – None of y'all think that this thing is intelligent and we can tell you why, because we have a much more developed understanding of what the human person is right, than a meat right, computing right. machine. Oh, that's awesome. Very fascinating. Nice. My, my mind is like blowing up right now. Just putting the pieces and, and together. blowing up your mind is not just blowing up a meat computing machine. <laughs> that's right, that's right. My mute, my meat computing machine is like going off right now. So, um, what questions do are y'all bringing to the table for Dr. Vukov? You've been thinking about this. Yeah, any and all. Yeah. One that I was just kind of thinking as um, Dr. Pedraza was was speaking was um, sort of like what could or what does the way that AI is being used, like what does that do or what will it do? And maybe this isn't the right question, but um, I'm just sort of thinking of like creativity, but Further than that, like the conversation of sort of like awe and wonder and like the reality is, is there should be a certain aspect of this in, in our lives. Um, I've had a couple of conversations recently about specifically like Catholic wonder. Um, so I'm just, I guess, sort of thinking about like, like what are the implications of that? And, and 
I do think it will have some effect. Like, you know, you could have just hit a button and it would have made your video for you. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I don't know if you have anything to say to that. Yeah, no, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, I think the the key is, is I, so I, I'm not... I'm not a naysayer when it comes to technology or AI. So I think that the the knee-jerk reaction, especially to those of us, and I count myself among this group, who are suspicious of sort of technological utopian dreamers that are sometimes the, the people that are putting forward AI the loudest and the strongest, I think that that's the wrong approach. But I think just because that's the wrong approach doesn't mean that we have to say, and therefore AI is a horrible thing that we shouldn't pursue at all. Um, I mean, think I, I think there's a lot of analogies here with the internet, right? So you can think about all the bad things the internet has done. I mean, it's increased polarization. It's spread misinformation. It's led to lots of rotten content being available to people who shouldn't, be, I mean, all of us, but being available to kids. I mean, so there's, you could, you could list off the things that 20 years ago didn't exist that the internet has brought about. But I think I don't all know. of us, all my social media feeds agree with me. I'm fine with oh, that. Oh, okay. So you're no, no, you're, no, you're exempt. You're exempt. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, but but I think all of us would agree, and maybe not. I, I'd be happy to debate. I'm a philosopher. I love debate. So you can tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> but I found beautiful things on the internet. There's great Catholic creators. There's great non-Catholic creators. There's good YouTube videos that I've learned things from, that I've been edified from. Um, there's been internet art. There's been memes that I've thought were funny and insightful. So <laughs> I think that you can cultivate a sense of cre- creation and awe and wonder on the internet. I think the trick is is to making sure that we're putting not the technology first and then us following the technology, but inverting the order. So that we're putting humans first and then allowing the technology to help support that vision. Um, and I think the same thing's going to go for AI, where I think that there's going to be a lot of, uh, hopefully not. I mean, we're sort of on the precipice right now. So hopefully we can mitigate some of the bad effects. And we sort of got got a trial run with the internet on some of the things that that can lead to. But there's going to probably be some bad effects. There's already people, again, who are sort of, this is this is just the best thing ever. Humans, are, you know, this creation is the best thing ever. Um, and I think that's obviously wrong. But I think we also don't want to say, and this tool has no capacity to create occasions for awe or wonder or appreciation of our humanness or even appreciations of God. Because I, again, I, I'd, I'd love, love to have somebody push back, but I think we've all had those moments on the internet and I don't see why we could find avenues for creating AI art that actually is creative and inspired sense of wonder. But again, I think, I think it's this matter of all of us. It's not just the Silicon Valley people are tempted to say, pursue the new for the sake of being new without pausing and thinking about how does this pursuing this new thing in ways that support more deeply held values and support our humanity. Yeah. I guess I just was thinking about it in this fact of like, um, there's, there's quite an age gap between me and, and my siblings. And so, um, even just seeing the difference of, um, I was born on the very cusp of the nineties, the very end of the nineties. Um, and the rest of my siblings are all, um, you know, they just grew up in a different, you know, I didn't grow up with a cell phone. I didn't, you know, grow up with, um, like the internet being readily available in the same way that they did. Um, And I think that, 
I can see the difference in, in terms of like the way that they think. Um, you know, I think specifically with, um, my little sisters. So there's, I think seven years between me and the next sister and, um, like the way that she thinks and sort of, um, like her creative, creative process is just so different than, um, the way that I would think in the sense of like, I think she's also grown up with more access to people. And so I have, I was never really one to say, you know, well, what this person is doing is, is, is the thing. Or like, if I'm not doing what that person's doing, then, then I'm doing something wrong. And I think she very much thinks that way of just like, um, like the desire to fit in. Like I didn't, you know, Instagram wasn't a thing until I was in my mid to late teens. And so I, I didn't grow up with like this curated image in the same way that they did. Um, and so I guess I could just like, I could foresee, I guess, sort of like you were saying, you know, like the bad things of the internet, um, sort of the bad effects that we've seen, um, of this like sort of curated, um, curated feed that we look at. Um, and I guess my fear is, you know, like how will, or how could AI, um, and the use of it be bad for, um, yeah, just like our own creativity, but also our ability to, um, I guess sort of express, um, I don't know, like original thoughts and ideas. Um, cause yeah, I, I feel like every time I open an app recently, there's this new AI feature and I'm like, I, <laughs> like, I, I just want to make an infographic for my writing class. Like I don't, I don't need a, you know, I don't need this to be AI'd for me. Um, so I don't know, just even in that, like, and I know that that's, um, like a concern on, you know, professors parts. Like I've seen professors prefer, um, you know, they've started like some will give us written tests, um, or paper tests in the fear of something being, um, you know, like AI doing something instead of us actually doing it. Um, so I think it, yeah, I don't know. And I guess that would lean more towards like the bad side of what it could be used for. It, it um, seems like one of the fundamental mm-hmm. questions you're getting at, Rachel, is um, does technology help make us more human, like aid us in our humanity, or does it replace something about our humanity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, um, there's a writer, Nicholas Carr. Is that? Are you familiar that with right. him? Yeah, I haven't read a lot of him, but so he's he's a bit of a luddite, but uh, he. He's a journalist and he's been writing about technology for a time. Mm. And in one of his articles, he's speaking about Inuit tribes and how they're excellent trackers. Um, so it didn't matter if there was a storm going on and you really couldn't see their ability to track and get from place to place was really excellent. And then someone was trying to sell the chief on the use of GPS devices and they were like, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this, not going to do this. Finally, they give in and decide to use GPS trackers. And then suddenly you had people from the tribe like falling into thin ice, falling off of cliffs, things that they would not have done if they had just kept up the traditions and the ways of learning how to track from their tribes. So he's saying like, this is an example of where technologies didn't just like it it wasn't aiding humanity it just replaced what human beings were already doing quite well and so he doesn't like that sort of use of technology and it just makes me wonder so like when we're using tech like 
is this sort of like an aid of my humanity or is it replacing it? And is that the way that I should be judging whether it's, this is like a good or a bad use of technology? Yeah, yeah. A, a couple stories come to mind. And I, I, I love that story. I think it's a really good one. Um, there's one that's a great quote. There's a media theorist who used to be like headline making. He was a big deal, but back in like the 90s, Marshall McLuhan. Yeah. And he has this great quote that I think really is, it really is a great quote where he talks in the terms of technology that whenever we use the prosthetic, there's also an amputation involved. And his idea is exactly this, is that sometimes we're, we're leaping for this extra technological thing, but we don't see the thing that we have to cut off in order to put that new technology. Mm-hmm. And I think like your example is, is a great one of that, where sort of we didn't, we didn't realize that by getting the GPS device, you're actually losing something much more valuable. Yeah. Um, another story, this is going back a little bit farther, Plato, um, yeah. notoriously in one of his dialogues, and I forget which one now. But Plato did not like the written word in one of his dialogues. Mm. Why? Because he thought it was going to amputate our memory. He thought that people should not be writing things down because then we won't be able to remember things. And in a way, of course, he's right, right? Is that, you know, um, I can still tell you my childhood best friend's phone number because back in the day we had to memorize those things. And now no one memorizes that. Like now... Now I couldn't tell you any of my friends' phone numbers because they're just stored in my phone. So I, I think That's Plato, right. yeah. Plato was obviously right. Marshall McLuhan was obviously right. Um, Nicholas Carr was obviously right. Um, but I think that the easy response to that is say, and that means all new technological innovations are bad. But I don't think that's the right response. Mm-hmm. I think there's something more subtle, which I think is exactly what you were you were aiming at, Brian, which is something like, how does this contribute to or detract from my humanity? And in order to answer that, we first have to have a really robust sense of what our humanity consists in, how this is going to affect us, how how it's going to help us, what it's going to, and being very realistic, this is what it's going to take from me. Um, and I think once you've done that, I, I think there, there still can be room. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with us using notepads, right? Even though I think Plato was right that we mm. lost something when yeah. we adopted pens and paper. Right. Um, so I, I think just being honest, trying to understand ourselves as made in the image of God, sort of a very robust Catholic understanding of who we are as people and starting there and then from there trying to figure out where do pens and paper fit into our lives and where does AI fit into our lives? Yeah, I, I love that you're seizing this moment as a time for uh, genuine anthropology, right? Because it, it's the reductive anthropology that's not going to be able to see the difference between technology and human beings or between artificial intelligence exactly. and human intelligence. And so I can, I can see it going the wrong way. <laughs> Uh, when you have that sort of reductive anthropology. But uh, as I think you're trying to say, most people just intuitively think like, nah, there's something different about being human. You know, like, I don't think I want AI writing all of my music or the novels that I read or, you know, the paintings that I look at. There's something different about being human. This is the chance for us to say like, so what's the different thing? Exactly. No, I, I see it as a really big evangelical moment because I think it's not just... Catholics, it's not even just religious people generally that are having the knee-jerk reaction, exactly the one, right? Which is, yeah. it's not the same, right? AI art is not the same as human-created art, and AI content is not the same as human-created content. And no, ChatGPT is not conscious. 
but why? Right? Like, why? And I think most secular understandings of the human being are reductive and don't have a good answer. Yeah. And I think we do. Yeah, yeah. The John. human is a body and soul created in the image of I mean, we've got all this language to talk about this. Yeah. Um, that's just ready made. I mean, we can come at it from a dozen different directions. I mean, the Catholic intellectual tradition is rich. We've got all these different ways of talking about what humans are and how rich humanity is. And every single one of those ways of talking answers all those questions that people have right now. Yeah, yeah. Josh, I saw you light up when he talked about consciousness. Is that where you're yeah, going to go? Yeah, because like, you know, that I think what also what we were trying to get at here is there's a certain uniqueness, you know, that if we go too far into the deep end with using AI that we can lose, you know, and we need to realize that, you know, well, the distinction between human and computer is that we are made in the image and likeness of God. So I think what I'm really looking at here is how do we use AI that's in a good balance that doesn't detract from who we are, but also can be used in a sense that is good because it is given to us and we, we discovered it and it is a good thing. It is a good tool. Like there's a lot of really good in it. So yeah, good. I mean, I think one one thing. I think it, it is this opportunity for reflection on what what it is that we're using, and I think there's this temptation to think that, yeah, that we're we're using something like an intelligence or something like that. And I think like having this understanding of what humans really are, I think, is the first step. Um, and then once we see that, and we see that it is different. We see it as a tool, and then all of a sudden we can ask the same question in a way that we're much more familiar with. Right. So we know uh, this is, you know, much more simple. We can say like, what's the proper use of a hammer? What's the proper use of a saw? And we can start to answer that. Right. We can say like, you know, you, uh, this is conversation I have with my kids. You do not use the hammer to try and chase your sister around the house. (laughs) You can use your hammer to help dad make the Ikea bookshelf. Right. Um, But then you amp that up and right. We, I think we all sort of are, starting to become more aware of what's the right use of our smartphones, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so clearly it's not doom scrolling all day. Um, but it may not be just ditching it all together, right? You know, that's, I don't know, it's how it sort of, it's not bad that I can keep in better contact with people that I care about now. So we, we've started that conversation. I think we can have that because we see our smartphones as a tool, even though a much more sophisticated tool. And I think once you put AI in that context, I think the answers aren't going to be easy, but at least you have a framework. You're saying, no, it's, it's a tool. And how are we going to use it in ways that are good and not bad? Mm. Mm. That makes me want to push philosophically then, then like, what is the tool? Like what, what is the purpose of AI? Oh, it's a good question. You know, like what, um, what is it supposed to do? Well, I mean, the, one of the purposes is to make profit. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think, right. so, so, right. right. So when we talk about AI, I think everyone thinks immediately about chat GPT or, or mm-hmm. some of the energy, uh, the image generative AIs that we've seen out there. Um, a lot of fingers and teeth. Basically. A lot of fingers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The finger, yeah. They're pretty, pretty uncanny valley. A lot of stuff that it turns out. Um, but I mean, you got to remember AI is also the algorithm that powers your YouTube feed. AI is the algorithm that powers Google. Mm-hmm. AI is, um, I'm going to be talking about this in the talk I give tonight, um, is being incorporated into health systems to think about, um, 
differential diagnoses in scans is to triage patients. Um, and what a lot of those come down to is what's the purpose of it? It's the bottom line. Like that's, that's now, now we might make use of it in other ways and there might be other good side effects, but Google is a publicly traded company like that. The reason they use AI is because it it's more profitable if they can do targeted advertising. Mm-hmm. The reason a hospital is going to implement AI for, you know, to, to read scans is because it's cheaper than hiring radiologists. The reason that a hospital is going to use AI to triage patients is that it's efficient. And it's now, again, there might be other good side effects and there might be other good things, but I think that's in a lot of contexts, we're going to see like, that's one of the major purposes of AI is turning a profit for the developer. Yeah. So is it too reductive to say that AI is really just like a giant Google search algorithm? Um, yes. And I think there's, there's similarities in that. Again, I think that we've got to be realistic that the, it is a product, Yeah, right? So it, it's something that there, it, it isn't being developed in a vacuum. And in, in fact, they're, they're hugely expensive to develop. So it's not like you could have a nonprofit or the church could say, we're going to make AI for the good of, we could do it, but it would be not that good because right. right. unless the church probably problematically decided we're going to sink like billions of dollars. It's like, no, 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 we probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, no, I, I think that um, in that way, it's similar as far as how it functions. Obviously it's a little bit different. It's not just a search algorithm um, because it's generating novel. Co- so um, um, GPT three, right. is generative pre-trained trained transformer. And the generative part is really important because okay. when you use a search engine, it's not generating novel content. Sure. And an AI is generating novel content. Um, yeah. yeah. As far as like how sort of the space it exists in, there's a lot of similarities though, too. Okay. Yeah. 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 We should probably enter into our game here. This is super fascinating. I've got all sorts of questions <laughs> now. I'm like, oh, this is man. amazing. <laughs> yeah, all right. I want to ask you about Terminator. And uh, Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just seems like we're like one dictator away. We've something. got a lot to talk about. You know? uh, those of us raised <laughs> in the 80s and 90s, all That's of our right. cultural touch points are the same. <laughs> It's like, it just takes one dictator to put AI on their like red nuke button and like, we're in trouble, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I know. Okay, so um, let's switch it up to a game. Uh, shall we go sides? Sides, sister and Josh, sure. Benjamin and Rachel. Okay. Sure. So, Dr. Vukov and I will be the judges. All right. And what's your team name, Sister F. Josh? Hmm. <laughs> and then Rachel and Benjamin, you need a quick team name. Frannies. Ew. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the Terminator Terminators. Honestly, I cannot think of the team. We are the... Um, we're a team. It's not just... We're the better team. Oh, okay. Team better and... Very meta. <laughs> team less than. Team less than. Oh, very Franciscan. I like it. Keep it. Keep it. Okay. Team better. Team less than. 
Okay, so you are going to go up against AI from oh. Catholic Chat. Sure. So that's a thing. We're going to come up with a basically catechism question, oh, and your gosh, team's going to come yes. up with an answer, and then we're going to let AI come up with an answer, yeah, and Doctor Vukov sure. and I will decide who is given a better answer. So somewhat subjective, the as the admin, judges, let's you know what I mean. <laughs> so we're going to start with the child category. You can pick between child, adult, or scholar. So. You know, okay. we're trying to set the bar low. Is this like child, like it's a child answer? Like we're answering to a child? Like the, the AI is going to spit back an answer that supposedly, supposedly. a child could understand. Uh, okay. Supposedly. Okay. So um, I'm going to go for the first question here. How about what are the effects of baptism? All right. So... Feel free to discuss it with your team. You have about a, like a minute. Okay, team better's ready. We're still waiting for team less than. You got it? Sure. Got it. <laughs> okay. We're back. All right. So, how should we do this? I guess maybe team better. You want to you want to give it a give butter. it a swing. Tell us what you got on a child's level. The the effects of baptism. The effects of baptism are salvation of your soul and the washing of original sin. Salvation of your soul, washing away original sin. I like that. Okay. Team less than? Um, I would say, yeah, the washing away of original sin and also um, entering into the church. Oh, okay. Adding a little extra there. Entering into the church. So That's a good point. Both had <laughs> washing, but this was original sin here mm -hmm. and then entering the church over here. Okay. This is supposedly a child's answer from Catholic.chat. When a person is baptized in the Catholic Church, it has some special effects. <laughs> Neon glow. No, baptism is a sacrament, which means it's a special way that God gives us his grace and makes us a part of his family. Okay. That does some. Here are a few important effects of baptism. Cleansing from original sin. Let's go. Then an explanation, which I'm going to bypass. Becoming a child of God. Receiving the Holy Spirit. And being marked as a Christian, Doctor Vukov, what do you think? It's good. I I feel like our teams might be more concise and better actually than the AI in this case. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I am not the theologian, so right. I, in some sense, I feel like the AI version is more complete. But there's no way I would actually give this answer to a kid. Like the amount of text yeah, that's it's a here. Lot. Yeah, that was a lot. Like I didn't mm -hmm. even read all of the text, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. So I think man. most kids would just say like, I'm a child of God. Yeah. With baptism. Right. right, 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 right. So cleansing an original sin and then mm -hmm. cleansing an the end to the church. I'm going to give the and point. I'm trying to think how some of the, so like being a Christian maybe follows from being in the church. Philosophers, we like being concise. Uh, right? yeah, like you yeah, really yeah, get to yeah, the heart yeah, of the matter. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking like the distinction between entering the church and the cleansing is greater than cleansing and then being washed from original sin, That's which okay. is, you know, they're kind of close. So I'm, I feel like I'm giving the point to I, team I think less I, than. I'm happy with that too. You're with that? Okay, yeah. so team less so... than takes one point here. I'm happy with that too. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna move. Nice. We're gonna move up a level. We're going to adult. Doctor Vukov, do you have a uh, what's above adult catechism question? Scholar. That's all on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah good. just a freshman, so... Right. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good... You're, again, you're the theology teacher. I'm, I'm trying to think what a good... So is it, what, what level are we at right now? Adult. 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 Explain I'm, I'm thinking the Trinity. Like, no, Trinity. I mean, I, yeah, well, no, this is what my <laughs> mind was going to the really tough stuff. And I was like, no, we're not going to do Trinitarian theology. Yeah. I wanted, I, I'm trying to go like a little more uh, secondary, I think. Like maybe like, How why, why don't we Let's eat Mary's? Oh, that could be good. Oh, that's a good one too. Like, <laughs> something like that. Do you want to go with that Any one? Adult yeah, let's do the meat. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we eat meat on Fridays? Yeah, I like that. In Lent. The teams are discussing. Wish y'all could see Sister F and Josh being so intense right now. It's pretty awesome. Ooh, and there's a handshake. <laughs> I mean, we are zero and one. So team team better is feeling confident about confident about catching up right here. Team team less than. Are you ready? You guys go first this time. As ready as we'll ever be. You got it. Um. Okay. So if I was explaining it to an if I was explaining it to an adult, I would say that we fast on Fridays during Lent in observance of the Passion, but also. I believe that it ties into um, the fasting of Jesus in the desert, um, but I don't know how I would better articulate that as Ooh, of this little, little scriptural reference there. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Team better? That's pretty good. Well, Josh and I are going to tag team this, but my first thought was with the church, with fasting, um, it's not that the thing that we're fasting from is bad, it's just that... We're choosing like a greater good, like uniting our fasting for, yeah. Josh, yeah, because fasting here. is a staple of our faith and Jesus sacrificed his own self on Good Friday. And so in preparation of that, what do we do on Lent? We sacrifice meat on Friday. Also, in a way, as what they were saying too, because Jesus died, we sacrifice. That's why mm-hmm. it's meat instead of, you know, something else. But ideally, we are also called to sacrifice something else on Friday. But it is a staple of the faith, and so that is why we abstain from eat on Friday. Okay, and then, Sister, I'm trying to read you right. You're saying not only is it a sacrifice, but it's some sort of preparation for goodness. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you're you're stepping away from that part, like that fulfills you. Okay, like food is good for you, mm-hmm. but taking it back a step of – I'm going very theological at this point. I'm um, loving it. But – like emptying yourself of that, of like, so the greater good of the Lord's presence can enter into. Like, mm. You can't feast without fasting. Right. So, you know, Easter people, 
you know, you got to fast from things. Okay. Ooh, I like this. Okay. Okay. So we've got. What did our AI friend come up yeah, with? Here, yeah, here's, here's AI. AI. We don't eat meat on Fridays in Lent as a way of practicing abstinence and self discipline. This practice is rooted in the Catholic Church's tradition of penance and preparation for the celebration of Easter. According to the Catechism, abstinence from meat or from some other food, as determined by the bishops, is observed on all Fridays of the year, not just during Lent. This practice is a reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus on Good Friday and helps us to unite our own sacrifices with his. During Lent, the Church calls for additional acts of penance and self-denial. Abstaining from meat on Fridays is one of these acts, symbolizing our willingness to make sacrifices and turn away from worldly pleasures in order to focus on our spiritual journey and grow closer to God. There's a couple more paragraphs, but I'll stop there. Just as he did in the 40 days. I mean, I, 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 I love how Sister put it in the context of the purpose. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think our, our AI friend kind of got to that eventually, but because there was so much other text, right, um, I think right. it was almost, I like that it was distilled. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, yeah, I yeah, like, yeah, that was a nicely distilled yeah. answer. Thank you. And Thank as you a philosopher, much. I love people identifying that telos or the purpose, like what's it for? Okay. So I, that's, uh, that's, uh-huh. my, that's my vote. I don't know if we're on the same page with this I'm, one. I'm with you. Thank you. We're at, we're at one and one. At one so here one. comes the tiebreaker for Scholar. Let's go. Huh. What should we ask here? I was, I was going to suggest for the last one, some Marian dogma could be good. Okay. Oh, Immaculate conception? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, no. So I was not going to say like the, the ins and outs, but just something very basic about like, what is the Immaculate conception? Okay. Maybe that is actually a little hard, but it's a... You can either have the really oh. easy answer or the really hard answer. Just church, go for it. I've got this. I what is the Immaculate Conception? I did not take Christology and Mariology. <laughs> Neither so did I. Oh, man. It sounds did like you? Team Lesnitz already had yeah. an advantage here. <laughs> Come on. But you are Catholic and you do celebrate this feast. Mm, that is true. Yeah, every year. Yeah. All right. So, you're not going to. Say Lesthens having a little team strife. They're working it out though. Just because I'm with a parish admin, sorry. <laughs> she teaches this stuff, man. Me? Like, I didn't no, I don't. He teaches this stuff. Did you did you go for the one of the common errors that would happen? He did. And you corrected him? Well, yes, she didn't correct. I yes, I she did. She gloated that she well, knew the I truth, did. and I didn't. I said no. That's okay. Mary's conception. I'll, I'll said, oh, yeah, okay. her birth. Yeah. I said no. Okay. Her conception. The conception of her and her mother was. Born. Okay, relax. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> this is an important thing for you to get right, Ben. I'll hear it when you give your answer. Um, thanks. Team Less Than is having some communal strife right now, <laughs> but there's an opportunity for growing in virtue. We'll bounce back. Um, but Team Better is gonna be the first one to answer this time. Immaculate Conception, what do you got? Oh boy, okay. <laughs> so, the Immaculate Conception is, essentially, it states that Mary was conceived without original sin within her mother's womb, and 
a part of that is so that she could readily receive in the Annunciation, the angel Gabriel being able to talk to her and say whether or not she could say yes or could say no, because she was, of course, perfect. So she could, you know, develop Jesus. But I also heard from something, and this may be wrong, but it may be right. Uh Uh-oh, Josh is taking a (laughs) chance here. He is. With Uh St. Louis de Montfort, Uh when he talked about the spousal relationship between Mary and the Holy Spirit, like that in itself also ties in to the Immaculate Conception, because there Mary was immaculately conceived with the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. And I, I remember something like that. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not sure exactly what you said. She was conceived with the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ. What did you mean by that? Like, she, when the Holy Spirit came into her and had, and Jesus Christ, you know, developed as an embryo, that in itself also ties into the mystery of the Immaculate Conception. I think that could be wrong. That could be heresy. <laughs> Don't blast me for that. <laughs> but St. Louis de Montfort said something like that. how that's different from one of the first things that you said. But let's pause it right there. We're taking, turning it over to Team Les then. What you got? Did you First of all, did you guys work it out? Yes. We're on good terms? We're on okay. good terms. We're on good terms. Okay. Fraternity um, is back in action. Yes. What do we got? So I actually think um, I'm... <laughs> Not to throw you under the bus, but I do want to start. So, uh, when we were discussing, Ben brought up um, one of the common misconceptions about the Immaculate Conception, that being um, that it's the conception of Jesus, but it's Mm -hmm. actually the conception of Mary um, in her mother's womb. Don't feel bad, Benjamin. Tons of people think that. Trust me, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, from my understanding of the Immaculate Conception, what we believe... Um, and what I believe that we teach um, is the understanding that um, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, Mary is sanctified within her mother's womb. And this takes place because um, the sacrifice of the crucifixion takes place outside of time um, because God. Um, <laughs> I mean, how else do you synthesize that? I thought the crucifixion oh. happened within time, but, well, you know. The salvation of, um, is what I would say, I guess. The salvation of the crucifixion um, is what also purifies Mary within her mother's womb and allows her to be immaculately conceived without original sin, um, which I think would then tie into maybe what Josh was trying to say in the sense of it's through that act that she's able to, in turn, immaculately conceive Jesus um, without original sin. But I don't think that his conception is the immaculate conception. Okay. It's a byproduct, I guess. Here's Catholic chat's turn. The immaculate conception is a dogma of the Catholic Church that teaches that the Blessed Virgin Mary was preserved from the stain of original sin from the moment of her conception. It affirms that Mary, by a unique privilege of God's grace, was conceived without the effects of original sin, which all other human beings inherit. The Catechism explains the immaculate conception in paragraph 491, stating... Through the centuries, the Church has become ever more aware that Mary, full of grace through God, was redeemed from the moment of her conception. That is what the dogma of the Immaculate Conception confesses, as Pope Pius IX proclaimed in 1854. 
neither of you brought up Pope Pius IX. The most <laughs> blessed Virgin Mary was, from the first moment of her conception, by a singular grace and privilege of Almighty God, and by virtue of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of the human race, preserved immune from all stain of original sin. The dogma does not imply that Mary did not need redemption, or that she did not require the saving work of Jesus Christ. Rather, it affirms that Mary was redeemed in a unique and preeminent way by God's grace. The Immaculate Conception highlights the special role that Mary was to play in God's plan of salvation as the mother of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of humanity. The Immaculate Conception is often misunderstood as referring to the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb, but it actually refers to Mary's own conception in the womb of her mother, St. Anne. Man, it really hit all the points that you guys were hitting there. It it goes on for another paragraph, but Dr. Vukov, what are you thinking this time? I might vote with the AI this time. Come with me if you want to live. Ooh. So here's why. Yeah, okay. I really liked that Rachel brought out the... So as a Protestant who came into the church and sort of... uh, The Marian theology or Marian ideas were never like a huge obstacle for me, but it did make sense to me sort of when it was clarified, no, 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 like Mary is still preserved from original sin by Jesus. Like that mechanism was, it was really helpful for me. It's like, okay. She's still redeemed. She's still redeemed. Um, That was really helpful for me. So I like that our AI and team less than hit on that. But I like that the AI brought in some of the history Mm -hmm. because I think it's interesting and not everyone knows how recent Immaculate Conception is. Um, and there's the whole story with like St. Bernadette. And stuff. So, oh. so I think sort of knowing that this is just late 19th century, um, yeah, yeah. for me at least is an important part of the story too, of the sort of re- gradual revelation about, about mm-hmm. this and that, that this yeah. wasn't something that's, even though it's been in the tradition for a long time, it wasn't taught as dogma till relatively recently. Oh, I like it. I like that it hit Team Better's point about the reason why I do, yep. she was redeemed I do too. and it hit y'all's point about the redemption. Yeah, so I think our AI had a it, moment so. right there. I think we're going to chalk that one up to AI. So we're ending this game with a tie, folks. AI won, team better won, team less than one. And that, folks, <laughs> is another episode of The Dunces Corner. You can find us on Twitter at DunsePod. You can find us on Instagram at The Dunces Corner. You can email us at DunsePod at gmail.com. Or you can just come on down to Fran U and see some awesome lectures by Dr. Joe Bukoff tonight and tomorrow. Thanks for joining us, y'all. Peace. Sighing or being angry. You know, Rachel's really good at expressing things on the mic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think Dr. Pedraza's favorite part of the podcast is taking all of the ridiculous clips throughout the episode and just throwing them all at the end. That's right. There's an end of a podcast episode where I talk about mouth noises because yeah. That's right. mouth noises. Okay, Rachel, give me a little test here.
and say, you want to be close, but not too close so that we can hear all your mouth noises or yeah. your nose breathing. If you do, if you gross. do nose breathing and you're not talking, you know, breathe away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Rachel pays attention to her, her own nose breathing. Now that you, you now only, we all are, you only do that when you go on a podcast and you realize that it's your voice that's on there and you're like, I'm breathing. I, you know? I don't know. I was listening to the TFE episode back and I was like, someone the entire episode and I don't think it was me. It could have been. I'm not eliminating myself from the, the equation. <clears throat> Breathed in like like the whole episode. All I could hear was someone, someone breathing directly into the microphone. As the editor, I can tell you it was you and Catherine. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, here we are. Yeah. I I had a hard time getting rid of a lot of breathing in that episode. But it was fine because when you listen to it, nobody else really cares except for you. Uh.